Hello, and welcome to the Global Fly Fisher Podcast. As you might be able to hear, I am not outdoors. Actually, I'm uh, lying in my bed, and that may, may be the reason that I'm talking with a slightly low voice. For some reason, darkness and the quiet in the house makes me keep my voice low, but... Uh, Anyways, this is, of course, Global Fly Fisher partner Martin Jorgensen speaking. Um, as usual, uh, almost. Um, and the reason that I'm recording while lying in my bed is actually a mail that I received this evening, which uh, started me thinking about a subject that I should have thought about covering for, you know, a long time ago, but uh, never really, um, never really thought of actually. The mail was from a Danish guy called Morden, uh, and the mail was about catch and release. And uh, the debate that uh, Morden had uh, started uh, partially by uh, publishing something about the subject on his weblog and partially by uh, participating in different uh, discussion forums in Denmark. And uh, to his surprise, uh, his um, arguments uh, pro-catch and release and his uh, own um, standpoint in the in the matter had actually started uh, some pretty fierce uh, fights uh, from people who were really against catch and release and that actually made me want to cover the subject because um, uh, because I think it's an important subject and because I think that uh, I might be able to shed a bit of light on some of the strange um, standpoints that you find against and and for catch and release around the world. Um, Most American listeners will probably be catch and release anglers and uh, be very um, used to the the subject and uh, used to fishing and catch and release waters and used to releasing fish at least that's my experience from seeing people fish in the, in the US and having fished in the US also when you fish in uh, in the tropics for instance like I've been lucky enough to do a couple of times the you always release what you catch you almost always release what you catch it's only the very common species uh, and and the very abundant species species that you uh, that you keep and uh, the few fish that you keep are probably not at all able to make any impact on the population as a whole but when you get to Europe uh, the subject of catch and release seems to be very very different uh, and the approach and people's um, 
people's point of views in uh, in respect to releasing fish that they catch is um, in many places uh, the very opposite of what you find in um, in countries where catch and release is uh, is the common way of uh, of of doing things um, in Germany it's actually as far as I have understood at least illegal to release fish once you have caught them and you will find the same uh, thing in many uh, in many stocked lakes uh, in the UK where you are not allowed to release fish once you have caught them you're supposed to kill them and bring them home and since there is a back limit any fish in angler will soon be um, be stopped from fishing because you can only catch like three or six fish or whatever and as soon as you've caught those you cannot fish anymore because you're not allowed to release the rest of your catch. In Denmark where I fish um, the the subject of catch and release is, is not really discussed very much. Uh, in most cases people have a fairly relaxed um, position and uh, most anglers that I know at least will release quite a few fish uh, based on different um, ethics and rules and laws and regulations uh, but uh, I also see in magazines and in in uh, on websites a lot of fish that I think should have been released but which have been killed and uh, are shown uh, by proud anglers um, and I don't really know what to think about that. Uh, of course, I can see that if you catch a big salmon in a Danish stream, you have a good right to be proud and you definitely want to show the rest of the world what you've caught. But on the other hand, uh, you are actually killing a fish which is in the stream to spawn and to secure future uh, fish and uh, often uh, when it comes to for instance salmon and even big sea trout you're killing a fish which is a very rare type of fish a big spawning male or female um, and by removing that fish from circulation you're actually damaging the fishing quite a lot more than you probably think Luckily, I also see pictures of people showing fish just lifted out of the water and, and clearly indicating that they're about to release the fish again after having caught it. Um, I'm glad to see pictures like that, but uh, they are still rare compared to the pictures of fish that are definitely dead. Another area where we have a very fragile fishing is when you fish for brown trout in small streams on so, in some parts of the country we have streams with with brown trout even even close by where i live uh, on the island of Schellen near copenhagen which is the capital of uh, denmark but uh, these streams are extremely small and very sensitive to fishing pressure and the few big brownies that are left in such a stream should definitely be allowed to stay there 
Honestly, I don't think these streams should even be fished because it makes no sense. They're really, really vulnerable to any kind of pressure, even just people walking along uh, the banks of the stream. But um, in, in, in particular, of course, if people jump into the stream and wait them, we are talking streams in the in the you know three six nine feet wide range here very very small streams and and um, generally not streams which are really very well suited to fishing but of course if the conditions are there the water is clean and there's enough of it you will have big fish in there and big fish obviously attract anglers so that's the fate of these fish. Luckily, most of these big brownies, when they're caught, are released. But you also sometimes hear and see pictures, hear stories and see pictures of fish that have been killed. The type of fishing that I usually do is for sea run sea trout, which I fish in the salt water. And these fish are definitely not an endangered species. It's a very common fish in the Danish Sea, and uh, there are plenty of fish, and you can you can easily bring home fish without damaging any anything uh, at all. And and definitely uh, anglers with rods and and lures and flies will not be able to make any significant impact on these these fish that's at least my uh, my own point of view but of course um, there's both both the ethical side and the um, and the the, um, the law that and, and regulatory side that that sets certain limits for what you should bring home uh, in general, most of the guys that I fish with, including myself, is um, is pretty careful. Are pretty careful not to to bring home fish that are not above the size limit, which is forty centimeters, or I don't know, a, a bit more than a foot. Um, any any fish below this size should always be released. Also, we are pretty careful um, with regards to releasing spawning fish. That's both uh, right now in the autumn where you have fish on the way to the streams to spawn and of course in the spring when you have fish that have returned from the streams to, to feed in the, uh, in the ocean. Such fish should always be released in my opinion, but... Um, uh, the regulations are that uh, you must release them uh, part of the year, uh, particularly in the in the autumn and in the spring. But you can catch fish in spawning conditions almost year-round. Maybe not in the high peak of the summer, but uh, definitely about nine months a year. You can always risk running into a big, 
big fish uh, on the way to or from spawning. Um, but still you will find people who will kill anything that is within the legal uh, limits of uh, of, uh, of fish and um, I can't really say that I uh, sympathize with uh, with these guys who uh, who want to bring home everything they catch um, both the the character of the fish and their numbers uh, makes no sense to me if um, if I were to bring home everything that I caught not that I'm that successful in angler but still if I was to bring home everything that I caught we would definitely have to eat fish many times a week and I would have to have a very big freezer um, and I would have a lot of fish in the range just above 40 centimeters or the minimum limit uh, which are really not big enough to eat in my opinion but anyways uh, actually I've made it a kind of a th rule of thumb that uh, the fish I bring home um, are not frozen um, I clean them and put them in the fridge and eat them before they they go bad, which is usually, uh, you know, usually means eating the fish within a day or two and just keeping it fresh on the on the in cold storage, and that means that um, I don't put fish in the freezer anymore. And the reason that I don't do that is actually I have been taking out old fish of my freezer so many times and just putting them in the garbage bin that I felt so bad about kill, having killed them in the first place um, it makes no sense killing a fish freezing it and then just leaving it there killing another fish freezing that and leaving it there and then piling one dead fish upon the other in the freezer and not eating them of course I could have you know eaten more fish and my family could have eaten more fish, but uh, the matter of the fact is that we didn't, and that led to killing a lot of fish in, uh, for no reason at all. So the rule here, by me at least, is now I bring home one fish, maybe two, and then we eat it before it needs to be frozen. And the rest I release, simple as that. And actually, I only bring home fish for every, I don't know, second, third, even fourth trip I go on. Uh, if I catch anything, I, I really think about, um, uh, think thoroughly about uh, what I'm going to do with the fish before I, I, I kill it. I see no reason to kill a fish and, and just because it, it's within the, li the limit that allows me to kill it. Well, that's my personal opinion, and I definitely know that a lot of uh, a lot of Danes and, and and other Europeans will differ on that, and probably even people from other parts of the world. I can I can understand that people want to bring home fish, but as I said, I have a hard time sympathizing with uh, with the killing for. Um, yeah, freezer filling and and. Um, well, having returned from Iceland recently, I've also seen 
the Icelandic way of uh, doing things, which is not only the Icelandic uh, people practicing this, but actually everybody on on most of the salmon streams up there. We were at two salmon streams in the southern part of um, of Iceland, and it was literally a slaughterhouse with people catching, you know, 10, 15 salmon a day and, and just killing everything. I fully understand that these streams, like the streams of Canada and North America on the Pacific side, are so full of salmon that it doesn't really matter how much you kill, but it still gives me kind of a bad taste in the mouth to see how many fish were just killed and how people would pile up fish in big, big rooms full of freezers and bring home fish in numbers that, well, made no sense to me at least. But um, again, it doesn't really influence the the population of fish that much. And, and to the people going fishing uh, in these uh, rivers, it really matters that they bring home a lot of meat. And, um, well, at least it's a good thing that they do it in uh, in rivers that can that can bear the killing because some of the some of the rivers in um, in parts of both Iceland and the rest of the world can't really take the pressure of of people just killing everything they uh, they catch i remember being in spain a few years ago fishing in the Rioja area in some small streams there where they had uh, brown trout and and stocked rainbows and uh, we fished a beautiful stream which should have been full of trout for you know quite a, a few days and the only fish I managed to um, to catch were actually uh, small rainbows gathered under uh, a bridge somewhere where it seemed like people may be uh, feeding them or whatever and uh, the Spanish seemed to have a tradition that everything they caught they brought home which meant that large stretches of these beautiful streams were just empty from fish and they actually had a system where they would leave a, a certain stretch of the of the river unfished for several years and then fish uh, the other stretch and then after three four five years they would they would switch around and fish the 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 previously protected stretch of the stream and then leave the the uh, previously fished stretch of the stream protected and then they would empty out the the new part of the stream and then they would switch back some strange system in my eyes but uh, of course if you can't um, keep people from killing everything it's absolutely a better way of doing things than just letting anglers lose on, all, on the whole stream and just depleting the whole stream from fish but as I said before uh, if a stock of fish is really threatened or endangered in that way I think it would be a lot better not to fish it at all just uh, ban all fishing on, on such a stream and leave it to itself for a few years and let the let the stock of uh, of fish get back in uh, in in full flower and uh, and become numerous and then uh, have some kind of uh, regulation or rules that say uh, that you can't kill too much and 
and let people loose on 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 the stream again. But well, I have no influence on the way the Spanish fish and um, and the rules that they have down there, so um, can't do much about that. It just seems strange to me. Well, it's uh, getting late here, and as I said, I'm in in my bed now. I'm uh, I'm going to stop for now. Uh, hopefully, I will be able to uh, finish this uh, this kind of strange podcast um, by the water, so that you at least can get a bit of uh, a bit of uh, fishing um, uh, ambience on the on the on the recording here, and uh, I'll just uh, talk onto my uh, my blanket here and. Uh, and say good night for now and uh, hopefully i'll see you by the water soon good night sleep well As you might be able to hear quite clearly, I'm no longer in my bed, but uh, actually outdoors, uh, as usual in the wind. I'm uh, just going right into the wind right now, so if you uh, if you can bear with me for just a, a, a short while, I'll turn around and uh, and turn my back to the wind because. Uh, I'm I'm fishing in a in a spot where actually the wind carries my line perfectly over the place that I want to fish. I just need to go a bit along the beach here and find a spot to enter the water, and uh, then I'll be I'll be uh, turning around and giving you some calm. Uh, the place that we're fishing here is. Uh, it's a really, really nice place that, that we've fished quite a lot. It's a peninsula and we're on one of the very outmost points. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's not a, a perfect day. Uh, it's a bit cloudy and as you can hear, a bit windy. But uh, it's a really, really nice uh, day considering uh, water conditions. We have uh, a bit of, uh, of chop on the water, you know, just uh, small waves and uh, a current is running just uh, along the, the coast here and around the, the tip of the of the peninsula where, where Henning is right now. He's, there's a, there's a, a stone reef on that tip um, pointing into the, into the water and, uh, and uh, the current over that reef is really very attractive and, and always, uh, always uh, makes you want to fish. Um, I have fished on the on the onshore side of, of, of the sorry on the on the side of the peninsula where the wind is onshore uh, most of the time. And uh, after just a few minutes of fishing, I actually managed to spook a fish in the in the very shallows here. Um, and soon after, I spooked one more, and uh, I. Um, I saw that there were rainbows, 
uh, rainbows in the in the ocean here means uh, escaped hatchery fish and um, escaped hatchery fish are usually quite big and that was the case here too because in uh, in just a, a minute or two I managed to get a couple of takes and, and actually hook one of them and since they were just I don't know 10 20 feet away from the shore just a few meters um, uh, over maybe one foot or one half meter or so of water this pretty big fish we're talking like uh, six to eight pounds or something like that just went totally berserk and jumped out of the water several times and uh, managed to actually break my tippet, which is um, something that rarely happens. But uh, well, I lost it and I lost one of my loved, um, very, very um, dear flies, the, the Maunus. I only have one left in my box now. Actually, it's not in my box, it's on my tippet. Um, after that, we saw these rainbows, which um, often go in in schools uh, just go around on the on the on the in the very shallow water and we could actually fish to it to them for quite a while half an hour or so where they just circled around but the problem with these fish is that once they're spooked which they easily become from lines and splashing and you walking around they become pretty difficult to uh, to catch Henning had one take and I felt nothing even though I could place my fly very nicely uh, just in the in the middle of the bunch but um, nope after that I took quite a walk and went to another point on the same peninsula here and fished that and managed to catch a small fish like a, a foot or some 30, 30 some centimeters uh, but I would have expected more it was really a nice place with uh, uh, beautiful bottom and, and current going over it uh, so I just returned and um, we've just had some lunch and a cup of coffee and been sitting and talking and uh, I went into the water the exact same spot where I saw the rainbows and after just a few casts I had a really really nice sea trout in the of the absolutely perfect kind silvery with a with a rosy shine on its side and uh, beautiful uh, shiny fish uh, in perfect condition and very strong uh, Henning match, uh, managed to get a few pictures of me and uh, and uh, well I did what this podcast is about I released it uh, it was absolutely above the minimum measure for for sea trout which is uh, 40 centimeters here in Denmark or uh, the, but you know what I it's it was fun catching, it was uh, absolutely in perfect condition, it was still very fresh and uh, um, actually I ate fish yesterday and uh, I may take home a fish today but uh, this, this wasn't the one. Especially not when there are rainbows around because the rainbows are actually, you, you actually have to kill the rainbows. Um, legally it's, um, it's not allowed to put them back in the water, once you have them in your hand you, you should actually kill them there polluting uh, the, the fauna. It's not a, a, a naturally um, a natural fish in the Danish Ocean. It's, uh, it's imported and the fish are escaped from, from large fish farms which, uh, which uh, sometimes leak uh, fish uh, in the sea and, and uh, then we can catch them. These uh, big rainbows are, are, are fun to catch but actually pretty ugly. Most of them are very fat and have their tails and fins bitten by the other fish because they go so 
so close in these cages, uh, it's uh, very densely populated and also um, they're pretty stupid. Um, they can't really uh, find out how to eat and how to take a fly. They actually just uh, swim around in big schools and uh, sometimes you're lucky and you can get them to take, but most times actually you're just frustrated because you can cast and cast and cast. And well, nothing really happens in these fish you can cast just in the middle of a big school and they should, had it been sea trout, they would have turned and taken the fly immediately, but these fish just spook or just ignore the fly, so, well, that's what happens. I'm uh, going to uh, get back in the water and, and cast a bit here, uh, see if I can, uh, I can get another one. As usual, I'll have to excuse the noise. Uh, it's uh, it's windy, as I said, as usual, which is good for fishing, but bad for recording. And also, I've uh, actually tucked the recorder into my clothes again in order to be able to fish. And uh, well, uh, that might give you a bit of noise from uh, from scratching up against my my jacket and my my fleece. But uh, well, on the other hand, if I if I do catch a fish and get some action, it might be worth enduring the, the noise, so... As I said, I have the wind perfectly in from my left-hand side and, and just bearing, carrying the line out over the water. It's a, a really perfect day to, to fish. The water is uh, just a bit disturbed. It's pretty clear, uh, but it's... Uh, it's actually uh, the waves will break up the the light and and the fish are usually not that spooky in uh, in water like this and uh, the day is overcast even though that's not really nice for your fingers and and for photography in 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 October it's uh, it's not that it's cold but it's it's not warm either but uh, it also kind of uh, keeps the the fish uh, a bit less spooky when uh, when you don't have the sun shining from a clear sky so uh, there should be all kinds of chances of catching a fish what i'm doing right now is actually just covering the water as i often do but still looking out because these big rainbows are quite visible in the water they uh, they really uh, disturb the water quite a lot and uh, and uh, you often say, yeah, yep no oh that was a take there Oppa. unfortunately it didn't stick on i saw it in the surface out there well that's a good sign uh, usually I always cast the same place exactly the same place again because this fish might not have been stung by the hook it might just have l thought it it lost the a small fish or whatever shrimp it, it, it was going for so it, if it hasn't been stung it's it's very probable that it's still in the area and circling around looking for whatever escaped but uh, my experience is that if you really hook a fish and it, it um, and you lose it or ju it just strikes and, and, and is marked by the hook you never catch it again they will usually escape immediately and disappear but uh, 
it's always worth casting a few times over the same spot because uh, there might also be a school of fish and uh, in that case you might have six, ten, twenty fish circling around out there and the one that you hooked might have been stung by the hook but the others haven't, haven't uh, probably haven't noticed and they might be in the area so uh, definitely any time you you catch a fish or somebody else catches a fish in the, in the ocean when fishing for sea trout well it's just a question of getting your fly out there just in that area because uh, these fish typically go in schools and will pass uh, by you uh, pretty quickly and uh, well nothing, nothing there um, as I said uh, the the big rainbows will often go in schools like 10 20 fish or something and since we're talking fish in the really huge size here uh, from four six pounds sometimes even eight pounds or or four kilo fish big fat fish going in big schools they will leave a lot of marks in the water make uh, what's referred to as nervous water and uh, and you will uh, you'll be able to see them moving uh, in most cases actually it's not a very good sign when you see them moving because uh, that might be because they're spooked they're just moving around swimming around but uh, it's also a very clear sign of the fact that the fish are there so you want to keep your eyes open apart from that what I do is just cast and strip and take a few steps and cast and strip and uh, Keep an eye on the on the water. Keep an eye on my fly or where I suppose my fly is, and and just uh, have all senses on full alert so that I can uh, I will notice if anything happens here. If I do catch a rainbow, you will experience me not releasing it. I will definitely kill it and bring it home and eat it. Most of these fish are, if they've been in the ocean for a while, they're actually very good to eat. And as I said, it is in principle at least illegal to release it because you are releasing a, a species into the nature which should be there. But uh, it's happened quite a few times that we released those fish because sometimes when you run into them you can actually catch quite a few. And since they weigh on the heavy side, all of them, you can, you can imagine that uh, you will bring home quite a lot of fish if you do bring them home. And a re released fish might actually survive. And uh, a rainbow of this size that survives and stays in the ocean over the, uh, over the winter and, and, and makes it into the spring is just a perfect catch. You can imagine these will turn into steelheads like you know them from, uh, from the Pacific. And they are just beautiful fish they're extremely strong there they are like you know can't describe the way they look they lose their rainbow colors and and turn absolutely silvery or rather aluminum shiny beautiful fish and they're very very strong they're pound per pound they're a lot stronger than uh, the sea trout that we usually catch so uh, a rainbow that's uh, that's been in the ocean for a while is just a uh, a catch of a really a price so uh, there's another good reason to release uh, a few of them even though many of them will stay in the ocean anyway but for some reason 
it seems that quite a lot of them won't make it through the winter. I, my personal theory is that they're a bit on the stupid side and actually, oh, aye, again a strike, really nice, but they take quite carefully, very, very small subtle takes and, and don't stick on the fly. Well, I'll just cast again and the second thing I'll do is actually check the fly because uh, there is uh, a good chance that it might be uh, numb or the hook uh, tip has been bent or something like that. So, But um, usually we don't lose fish like this. The strike is very fierce and they usually uh, stay on immediately, uh, just uh, sit there. But uh, let me check the fly here. I don't know, it's, uh, yeah, in many cases the fly is just absolutely perfect and, and sharp and, and that same thing here, it's it's actually really, really sharp, so the fish might just have, you know, struck it uh, in an awkward angle or something like that, so. Okay. Well, two strikes in a, in a few minutes, that's a good sign. I hope I get a fish here. I do hope I get a fish. Sometimes you also feel very subtle uh, stopping of the of the fly when stripping it. It might be uh, just a bit of weed floating in the water. It might be that you are striking some some weed, touching some weed in the in, on the bottom, but. It could also be a fish uh, that is just slightly moving around the fly, and in that case, it's uh, it's my um, impression that uh, stopping the fly, uh, just letting it hang there for a few seconds and then stripping on again, is usually something that will make. Oh, I think there might be some weed or something out there. I felt a strike again, but that wasn't really didn't really feel like a fish. Um, and that might be the reason why I feel these subtle touches of, uh, of the fly. I'm just, uh, may, I may just be pulling it over a wheat bed or something. And, and sometimes you don't, you don't snag, you just slowly, you know, just touch, slightly touch the weed and that feels very much like a fish. But um, it keeps you awake, which is... Uh, also good because these things when you just blind fish has a tendency to lure you into a kind of a sleepy mode and suddenly there's a lot of action and you might not be awake you might not um, be alert and strike and you might actually just uh, just lose the fish because you weren't uh, on your on your toes which is pretty stupid uh, so it's always a good idea to, as I said, keep an eye out, keep contact with your fly line. I, I always point my rod tip just into the water and make sure the line is absolutely stretched and no slack in the line. Because uh, when a fish strikes, you want it to have contact with the, with the fly line immediately. And, and in many cases, it will hook itself, uh, just turn and, and take the, the take the fly and, and, and stick on. But nothing really happens here. I'm getting into the area where this, these uh, rainbows were just uh, 
when we arrived, but it's a few hours ago now, so I'm not expecting them to be there again. The current is still running nicely, uh, also running from my left to my right, which is very convenient because I can cast out and then I can just kind of let the fly float with the current and uh, just move it back towards myself and I will actually cover quite a big, a big area. So uh, I can see Henning has uh, returned out of the water, so he's probably he's probably not seen or, or caught anything on the other side of this point. So uh, he's just standing around there, together with the dog, which is also here, of course. fishing a weight forward line today, which is uh, always nice. I love fishing weight forwards, but uh, I was expecting oh, ah, a take again. That was definitely a take. Why don't they stick on there? It took again. Third time, maybe? Nope. It took two times, which is as soon as I feel the fish, I just leave the fly there and strike. And if nothing happens, I leave the fly there again, waiting, because, as I said many times, they won't be stung, and they will return to the, to the place and look for the fly. And uh, if you just leave it there, sometimes they will, they will find it, and as soon as you start pulling again, they will strike and, and take a second time. And that sometimes happens even, even three times or more, which is... Uh, which is when the fish hasn't been hurt by the hook. Ah, too bad. It's, uh, I don't know, the hook is, seems perfect and everything is perfect here. It's just, uh, for some reason, these fish are taking really not striking. The first one that I actually landed was just said boom and just took the fly with a very fiercefully and, uh, and with lots of power and went out of the water immediately. But the last few ones here have just been really, really picky and subtle. I would like to catch a fish here, so I'm just going to keep on recording until something happens. And when I'm at the point here, I'll return and, and cover the same area once again, because uh, even though I might have uh, lined a, f a few fish, something again there, quite amazing. This is strange, really strange. I don't think that was weed. It's of course possible, but you know, <laughs> over the years you actually learn to feel the difference between a fish and a, a bit of seaweed. So uh, and these fish don't really, sometimes when this happens, what I do is instead of, of retrieving as I, as I do m most of the time, I just cast out and leave the fly there floating and then and then retrieve, uh, and then leave it again and retrieve, and just take it really easy because sometimes it's uh, it's a problem of fish following the fly, not taking the fly, and they are actually not trying to swallow it; they're just touching it, and that's what you feel. That's my theory, at least. <laughs> I have no chance of knowing what is actually happening out there because these. Uh, these flies don't have cameras on them, so we can't really see what's what's going on. But uh, well, well, you can always 
theorize about things and I know we do that quite a lot. We have all kinds of ideas about how fish behave and actually and basically we have no idea even though more and more uh, DVDs and videos actually managed to uh, show us uh, footage of fish under the water. But uh, okay, I'm feeling really in the hot zone now. This is this is a place where there should be something happening, and uh, I have felt fish a couple of times, so uh, there should be something happening. I can see Henning coming over here. Let's hear what has happened to him. Well, as I'm walking along here, I might as well cover the subject of, uh, of catch and release just a bit more. Um, as I may have mentioned, there are basically three good reasons to to release fish. I, I'm sure some some people can can uh, can think of more reasons, but uh, at least I have three good reasons. One reason is rules and regulations that you actually do have places where you're not allowed to take fish, or at least not allowed to take certain fish. Uh, you have to let, you know, small fish go, large fish sometimes, uh, fish that are on the way to spawn or whatever. Well, the other reason is uh, kind of an, what I would refer to maybe as an ethical reason, uh, which is, you know, there's no reason to take more than you need. Uh, you might as well just uh, let the ones go that you don't need. I know that in some people's eyes, ethical will be the opposite. Uh, they will find it unethical to put a hook in a fish and play around with it and then uh, release it back into the water. Once you've hurt it, you should kill it. Uh, but I don't think that's uh, such a big problem. Uh, I don't. It's not like I lo love hurting fish, but uh, I certainly do love hunting them and, and uh, I see no reason to kill them when I when I don't have to and uh, the third and, and actually the most important reason is a preservation reason it's a very good idea to release fish when you're fishing for species or fishing in places where it's uh, where the fish are endangered uh, actually my, my personal opinion about that is that you shouldn't fish there at all you should just leave the place alone and, and leave the fish uh, there because in most cases the, the population of fish will actually grow and, uh, and become viable and, and healthy if you, if you don't catch them and, and don't disturb it. But of course if, if, if uh, it's a popular place and, and a place that people do want to fish it's better, than that, it's better to have catch and release than, than, um, than to have catch and kill. So, uh, and as I said, preservation, ethics and, and uh, rules uh, are, are very good reasons to release fish. Also, personally, I, I, I tend to uh, maybe uh, over-interpret uh, these, these, uh, these rules and, and 
often let fish go that I could take and uh, often let fish go that are not endangered. I see no reason, as I've said before, to fill the freezer to the, to the rim and, uh, and having, a, having a ton of fish lying around. They're better live in nature, they're better to go catch again another day, but uh, I know people will dispute that and, uh, and not agree with me, but uh, well, I'm uh, working my way around this small uh, point now and actually even though this in many people's eyes is the absolute best place of the, of the whole, uh, whole peninsula, this very point where the reef is, uh, is going into the water, I actually like fishing the, uh, the site uh, down along the reef more than I like to fish the reef itself. Uh, the reef is kind of a, a limited uh, area and uh, you can fish it, you can fish over it and once you've passed it, uh, well, you're done. But of course, uh, sometimes you can have really big fish uh, swimming around, especially on a day like this where we have a, a very nice current going. You can be lucky that a fish has parked itself somewhere on behind a stone or, or somewhere out there. And it is definitely a place that concentrates fish. But it is also, as I said, a, a place with very limited movement and, uh, and uh, well, I like moving. So I'm going to go back into the water and actually just fish around the, the point here because the current is really running nicely and that's a, that's the best uh, time to fish one of these reefs. Uh, but then I'm going to go ashore and go back and uh, take the, the trip one more time. It's too bad that I didn't get any of those fish. I'm, uh, I'm going to, uh, to do what I can to get one, but I'm, I might not get it on the, on the recorder here. Uh, I think my time is about to run out if it's not going to, uh, to drag out and, and be too long and, and too boring. Uh, and uh, I think I'm uh, oh, oh, ah, pretty uh, rocky here and uh, rocks and seaweed is uh, a very perfect combination to, uh, to make you fall. No, as I said, I'm, I'm, I don't want to make these podcasts too long and I don't want to record too much. Uh, whoops, there was a fish right in front of me. That was definitely one of these big rainbows. Okay, I'll just <laughs> keep you on. I probably spooked it. That's a problem with these big fish. It was really close by. It's actually my loose line is hanging in the loop. And I, I probably, I just ran that loop over the fish. Oops. Let's just see what happens here. What I do then, this is a fish that is really, really close. I mean, within... 10 feet or th three, four meters, is that I just slightly roll cast over it and just lift the, lift the, the, the rod and let the fly um, go through the water very close. And that, um, that makes the, uh, the fly pass over the place where I think the fish is in such a way that many fish will just uh, react and, uh, and follow the fly and uh, then I can at least see that it's there and then I can make a proper cast and, uh, and get the, the fish to, uh, 
hopefully get the fish to take, but nothing happened here, right? Probably just spooked it. It's very difficult. Sorry, very typical for these big rainbows that they go so close that you you can you can hardly cast. Cast it's it's really amazing. They they'll go absolutely onto the beach almost and and go in in very shallow water, even though they're big fish. Well, well. Okay, I think I'll leave it at that and uh, just the last cast here. Uh, whoopa! With my nice line and uh, let me find a place where I'm I'm safer, not as weedy and not as slippery. And I will say goodbye to you. Uh, from this beautiful point on the Danish coast after having had three strikes and no real takes um, and after having just talked a bit about catch and release in a not very concentrated manner but uh, anyway just a subject that uh, I think you should think about and uh, consider releasing fish uh, for the reasons that I have covered and um, of course in order to be able to release fish you have to catch them and in order to be able to catch them you have to go fishing and I can dearly recommend you that go fishing as much as you can and as often as you can and uh, instead of sitting indoors or in your car or in the train or in the bus listening to me it's much better to be by the water I promise okay this is Martin Jorgensen from the Global Fly Fisher thanking you for listening and saying goodbye and have a very, very nice day.
That was track number 13 from the album Six Sonatas for Flute and Violin by Duo Dubois from Magnatune.com. 